Good morning. My name is Emily Phillips, and I will be reading the scripture passage for today's sermon. It comes from Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows that what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, as Benjamin said, my name is Nate Phillips, and uh, I've been a member here at Community for a while now, and it's kind of fun. The last time I was on this stage, um, I was getting married to my wife, Emily, who just read the scripture for us. And now it's uh, another great joy to be able to stand here and bring the word to you this morning. So um, I want to pray and get us started, and then we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for, for this day, for, for the people that you have um, brought to this church for the individuals that you have put in this community to grow um, closer to you and to grow in relationship. And so this morning, as we open up your Bible, as we study what the scripture says about forgiveness, I ask that you would allow us to see the forgiveness that you have given us. How it's not a thing that we earn, it's not a thing that uh, we strive for, but it's a thing that you have in your free, free grace given us. And I ask that you, I ask that you would allow that to, to impact our relationships and how we treat and love one another. Thank you for the love that you've shown us. I ask this morning that you would um, bless the teaching, hearing, and obeying of the word of God, and that you would be known and glorified through all of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning, we, we start our next uh, sermon um, in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we have this week and next week left, and, and then we're done with it before we go back to the book of Acts. And we're going to talk about forgiveness today. So forgiveness, what is it? And why does it exist? Why is the Bible so concerned with it? And why has God chosen to show it to us? And why do the people of God show it? In short, we will see that forgiveness exists for the glory of God and for the good of his people. We will see that true forgiveness, what it is, and how forgiveness is an integral part of our church body. So one thing I have come to see over the last couple of years is the forgiveness of God and how it impacts so much of who we are. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If we notice, Jesus is sitting down. 
but why we might ask. Think about when you're doing work. You finish mowing the lawn, you finish a project. What is often the first thing you do? You sit down, you relax, you enjoy the work you have just completed. And Jesus is sitting down because the work is done. He has made purification for sins. The work is done and it's going to stay done for all time. So what a beautiful picture this is for God's people. And then we look further back in the Bible and the Old Testament and we read the story of David. David was a man who was a man after God's own heart. He was a man that God made a covenant with to establish the royal line through him. And David commits a sin that in the Old Testament is punishable by death. David should have been killed for the thing that he did. But the prophet Nathan comes to him in 2 Samuel twelve thirteen and tells him, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. God has looked 14 generations forward to Jesus, the Son of God, who is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world, and applied the blood of Jesus to David. Because God is sovereign, he is slow to anger, gracious and full of mercy, he has forgiven David. And because David was repentant, he has shown David forgiveness. We see David's repentance in Psalm 51, if you want to take the time to read that later today. In the Bible, we see that forgiveness starts in Genesis 3.21, when God covers Adam and Eve after original sin with with an animal skin. And it culminates in Revelation 22, when Jesus will return, doing away with sin and establishing the full and consummated kingdom of God. So what I want us to see most clearly today is that forgiveness is not just simply saying, I forgive you and moving on. Forgiveness is a mark. It is not just a way of life, but it is integral to who we are as God's people. If we as the people God refuse to forgive those who have sinned against us, we do not truly understand forgiveness and we might not understand God's forgiveness and grace shown to us. Perhaps you feel like you're in a place where you know God, you know forgiveness, and you show the same forgiveness to others. But I would encourage you to be careful today to not assume that you've arrived. Forgiveness is something that we must work on daily. And if there's anything that Satan wants, it's to cause the people of God to believe that they have not been forgiven, they have to earn their forgiveness, or they have a license to do whatever they want because God has forgiven them. So as we jump into the passage, let us look at a few verses that are so short, but there's so much for us to see. So Matthew 6, verse 12, says, And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then jump down to verse 14 and 15. It says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So last week, Benjamin preached on the preceding verse. Verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. He said that when we are told to pray for our daily bread, it exposes our boasting, our ingratitude, and our selfish individualism. Benjamin's passage marked a shift from the vertical part of the prayer to the horizontal part of the prayer. As we go from focusing on praising God for who he is to expressing our needs. So when I read verse 12, the first word that I see there is and. 
And it caused me to ask the question, why is the word and there? And then you read verse 13, and the same word that starts that is and as well. And so what I came to learn is that in the short succession of phrases, Matthew is saying that each verse is are one. They're connected. You cannot pick and choose these verses. The succession also shows that we as people need bread. We need daily bread. But more importantly, we need forgiveness and we need to show forgiveness. One very unfortunate trend I have come to see in churches around the nation is that God is simply concerned with our material good. So simply, people will feed others, make meals, pay bills. They give daily bread. And these are all very good things and are all things that we should be concerned with and we should be doing. But the far greater need is for people to know forgiveness. Bread will sustain our earthly lives, but knowing and practicing forgiveness will have an eternal impact. Forgiveness will sustain our souls and one day bring us to God, our great and mighty judge, where we will boast in the blood of Christ that covers our sins and brings forgiveness to all who believe and confess that he is Lord. So forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We see the word debts. And it's interesting, Luke, in his, in his uh, phrasing of this prayer, uses a different word. And there's been argument about what word should be used here. But a quick note on the word debt. In the Roman Empire, debt was a really big deal. Uh, to put it into more modern terms for us to understand, our church has a lot of young people in it. A lot of people probably have student loans. Some have $1,000 or a couple of thousands. Some have tens of thousands. Some might even have hundreds of thousands of student loans. This will bring anxiety. It will cause us to be uncomfortable. But fortunately, we will be able to pay this back one day. But if we were to look at the national debt, the national debt sits right around $25 trillion. Our government and not even one person could ever hope to pay back this amount of money. If we were the Roman Empire today and an individual had a debt that they could not pay back, They would be thrown into prison until they could pay that debt back. The idea was to put pressure on family members to more quickly pay the debt. But often, being put in a debtor's prison was a death sentence because the family could not pay the debt as well. I do not believe, nor do most scholars believe, that this passage is referring to a monetary debt. But I believe that Matthew uses the language to paint a picture for us. We owe a debt. We owe a debt that is massive, bigger than $25 trillion to God. And the only way we will ever be rid of this debt is to be forgiven. And we look at the second half of verse 12. It says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And that might suggest forgiveness is not given because it is dependent upon us forgiving others. Scripture is the very word of God. It does not contradict itself. And it's put together over 15 centuries with 35 different authors. It's a beautiful book that has a main theme all throughout of Jesus and his forgiveness. The Bible clearly shows us that God has shown us forgiveness apart from our showing forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for, God, I mean, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Nothing in these verses state that we must forgive in order to, to be forgiven. Notice that the verse says, forgive us our debts as we. Not forgive us our debts because we. We are not forgiven because we forgive. We forgive because we are forgiven. So here I want to focus on a true understanding of forgiveness resulting in forgiveness shown. When we see the enormity of our sin and how much has been done for us, something happens. Something changes. We see the greatness of God and the bigness of our sin, and we change our perspective because God has covered our sin for us. And we see that in comparison to our sin— and how great God's mercy has been, and the sins of those who have sinned against us, their sins pale in comparison. So in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35, we read the parable of the unforgiving servant, which says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of God may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to the, the servant, the ordered him uh, to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be, to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and you should not have mercy on your, on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do every one do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The unforgiving servant completely misses what has been done for him. He was shown grace and mercy. There was a debt he could not pay, and instead of being cast into prison, he was set free. His debt was forgiven. But then he goes to another individual who owes him a fraction of what he owed, and this man could not pay. So he throws him in prison. The unforgiving servant did not understand forgiveness and was so blinded by his pride. He failed to show how much he had been forgiven. If he would have truly seen how great his debt was and how great the forgiveness that he was shown, he he would have done the same for the individual who owed him little. The unforgiving servant was blind. There was no change in perspective, attitude, or a growing humility. There was rather pride and arrogance. 
May we not be a people marked by pride and arrogance, but may we be a people marked by forgiveness, by humility, because we recognize we have been forgiven an unpayable debt. Charles Spurgeon said, Unless you forgive others, you read your own death warrant when you recite the Lord's Prayer. Forgiveness is something that is so important that if we miss what, we, what has been done for us and what we should do for others, it will have eternal implications. This is very true and very sobering. It's something that is deep and short, but it is heavy for us to, to meditate on. So to see this, if we read a little further in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, this is not about earning forgiveness. We don't forgive so that God will forgive us. We forgive because God has forgiven us. But rather, it shows a proper and improper understanding of forgiveness. Every single one of us will struggle with forgiveness. We will have times where something small has been done against us, or we have witnessed something small done against God, and it will be easy to forgive. Other times, it will be much more difficult for us to forgive. It will be a decision we have to make every single day as we wake up. And I want to be careful to emphasize here that forgiveness does not mean you're buddy-buddy with somebody. It does not mean that you forgive somebody and you have to have a friendship or relationship with them. There are times when forgiveness is something that you choose to let go of, but then continuing a a relationship could be unhealthy, detrimental to you, to your relationship with God. And it's better that you would just let that go. But there's other people who believe that they're Christians— They believe they've been forgiven by God, but yet the same forgiveness that God has shown them is not present in their lives toward others. Because of this, passages like Matthew 7, 22 to 23 should be terrifying. It should scare every single one of us, where it says, On that day, many will say to me, as Jesus is speaking, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then in 2 Corinthians 11, Satan is described as an angel of light. He is the great deceiver. And I've heard it said that Satan has no greater trick than to cause one to believe they have been saved their entire life only to die, stand before God as their judge, and find out they've never known him. So, be careful whose you say you are. Take time and evaluate who you are. Do you want to know if you are forgiven by God? Ask yourself the question, do I forgive? It is impossible to experience the richness of God and the grace of God and remain stubborn, obstinate, cold-hearted to be an unforgiving person. Those who truly know forgiveness of sins, forgive others. I believe here is where the communal aspect of this passage comes in for us. 
Just as Benjamin stated last week, there is a communal aspect to this prayer. It is not something we do on our own selves, uh, by ourselves. It's something that we do when we gather together as part of the church. Notice it says, forgive us our debts, not forgive me my debts. And we all, and as we also, or we have also, not as I also, the world is committed first and foremost to themselves and their own power. This is characterized by selfishness, ambition, sorry, selfish ambition, self-promotion and neglect for others. But the church, the church is to be characterized by mercy, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Christians ought to be the most kind, the most humble, the most compassionate, and the most forgiving people, because as one scholar says, the only thing that surpasses our need for constant forgiveness is God's devotion to that forgiveness. God has paid the penalty in full. He has taken away our sin. He has called us righteous and redeemed. This is not a get-out-of-jail-free card, but rather it's transformational and life-giving. God has forgiven our sins for all time, but still called us to grow in our holiness towards him. The church community is what helps call these things out in individuals. Are you selfish and only care for yourself? Or are you kind, compassionate, and forgiving? What do people around you say about you? Not only can they help you identify unforgiveness of yourself or in yourself, but they can point you back to the cross of Christ and the great gift of forgiveness we have been shown. Here's what is so important about being a part of a small group or a discipleship relationship. So every Wednesday for the last one and a half years, I have been meeting with a group of guys for accountability, encouragement, and honestly help and knowing where our identities lay or lie. Every other week, I'm discipled by an elder in our church. On Sunday nights, I help co-lead a small group of of mid-20-somethings that seek to understand the scriptures and one another on a deeper level. I have opened myself up to each of these people and given them permission to confront me, to challenge me, to help me place my identity in God rather than in my own name, my selfish desires, or even the lies that the enemy tells me. They hold me to such a high standard. And so I do not say these things to brag. I say these things to show that there are many ways to be part of the body and ways that will allow people to know you, to love you, and to challenge you as you seek to follow after Christ. The people will say, yes, you know Christ. Look at the ways you've changed and grown. Look at the ways you show forgiveness to those who are around you. They will also say, hey, I think you need to work in this area. I think you need to grow in this area. Let me come alongside of you and help you. How beautiful a gift is the church that God has given to his people. So what are some ways we as a local church can practice forgiveness? How, what are some ways that's going to be a part of our weekly and daily lives? So often, and when, when Pastor Ben is leading worship, he will include a time of confession and then an assurance of pardon. Don't just sit there silently with a blank mind, but listen. Reflect on the heaviness of the sin that's being confessed. Speak aloud. 
When he asks you to confess your sins silently, don't just stand there with a blank mind, but rather confess your sins to God. If you have trouble confessing, turn to the person next to you and ask them to help you do this. I know we're not gathered together right now in a church um, building, but you're with others. You're with family, with friends. Confess sins with them. And then when Pastor Ben reads the assurance of pardon, that is the forgiveness of our sins, listen, meditate on it. Rejoice greatly over the forgiveness of your sins and the communal sins that God's people have committed and God has washed over them by the blood of Jesus. Another practice that I believe that we could do as a church has to do with communion. When I was younger, I had a pastor say, before we take communion each week, that if there was a sin that you've committed against a brother or sister in the room, that you need to go and confess that sin to that brother or sister before you take of the elements. We see this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven to 32. And then he would continue to say, if someone comes and confesses a sin to you, you were to forgive them that sin before you take of the elements. What would it be like after COVID-19, when we come back together, and that glorious day when we can take communion together once more. And communion is not no longer just about bread and juice and those two elements. But communion is also about forgiveness and forgiving one another and realizing the forgiveness that God has given us. Maybe we would see the elements with a greater sense of understanding and beauty as we choose to confess and forgive as we have been forgiven. Or does your small group uh, participate in a time of confession or repentance? If you've been a part of a group for more than two minutes, you know there's conflict. There's division. There is hard. Because we're people. That's what comes with relationships. We sin and it affects others. But how do we respond to that? We should be intentional about forgiving each other. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a part of a small group of men that every week we confess our sins to one another. And every week, the others respond with a gospel presentation to us to remind us of who we are in God. If you want to be a part of something like this, where you're part of a group of people that comes together to confess sin, to grow in accountability, to grow in your understanding of the gospel, please reach out to me. Let me get you connected to a group. And I'd encourage you to seek to change your language about forgiveness. One issue I've often seen is when someone comes to another individual and they confess a wrong that they have done towards them, the person responds with, it's okay, or don't worry about it, or it'll be fine. But there's an issue with those responses. It's not okay. Our sin is great. It has separated us from God, but Jesus has saved us. So don't tell others their sin is okay. But rather tell them that you forgive them. Say it out loud. I forgive you for what you have done to me. And then help them remember the gospel. And then know you're not going to be perfect at this. Know that forgiveness is something that you will need to grow over your life as you come to know and love God more. And this is one reason I believe it's so important to be connected to other people who love God and can help you know him and love him more. Because as they help you know God and love him more, 
It will also help you grow in forgiveness. And then maybe you're sitting here listening to me, and a thing that I've said has struck a chord. Maybe it's brought conviction to you. Maybe you've realized you've never known the forgiveness that God has shown his people. And I want to encourage you today that that gift is free. That that gift is waiting for you. Your sin is great, far greater than you will ever know. And God is holy and just. And because of that, you cannot be with him and his presence, knowing him for all eternity. But God had a plan. As I talked about at the beginning of Genesis, in Genesis 3, God covers Adam and Eve's sin. Previously, Adam and Eve had tried to cover their own sin with fig leaves. But God more completely covers them. In the same manner, Jesus came for us, lived a perfect life, the life that we could never live, died the death that we should have died, paid the penalty for our sins that we should have paid, and rose from the dead in a way, overcoming sin that we never could. And the Bible says in John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that whoever uh, come once this is the way, the truth, and the life that whoever uh, believes in him will have eternal life. And the Bible says elsewhere that if you believe that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so this morning, I would ask you, I would plead with you, come to God and know the forgiveness of your sins. Allow him to change your identity. And if you're an individual who needs to confess unforgiveness, Confess unforgiveness to God and then go to the people that you need to ask for forgiveness from because you have not forgiven them and ask them. May we be a people that are marked by forgiveness, not by work, not by striving after wind, but after the free forgiveness that God has given us and we have chosen to show to others. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I don't think we could ever understand or know how great our sin is on this planet, on this earth. But I do know that I can't do this, that we can't do this. That if we strive and strive and strive, we will fail and fail and fail. But you have shown your forgiveness to us freely. You have changed our lives, and we thank you for that. You are a great God and there is no other God like you. And so may, may you allow that to shape who we are, to establish our identities in you, to be built on a solid rock that will not sway, that will not fall, that will be established in you. And I thank you for this church and these people. And I eagerly await the day when we come back together to worship you together to hear from the word together. And I said that would be soon, that you would heal our nation of this sickness, that you would take it away and you allow us to come back together. And as we come back together, we'd be marked by forgiveness, that people would see us and know that we are yours because the way that we respond to one another and to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.